Welcome to the Calgary Session. I'm your host, Jeff Humphreys. Today's guest, we were just blabbing off camera for a while. Um, you said something interesting, like the construction space and, you know, for whatever reason, it's such a big part of the community in Calgary, but, you know, it's just like the kind of, it's always behind the scenes. Yeah. So for whatever reason, I'm, and I told you, I've been, I grew up in the industry. My dad built houses. I didn't do shit. I just moved lumber around, but... <laughs> It's fun to have um, characters like you come through here because it's just yeah. it's, it's such an interesting perspective. So, uh, name and who you are? Sure, my name is Byron Brooks. Uh, I am the owner operator of Alaire Calgary. Uh, we build custom homes and renovations, and I'm also the co-founder of a group called Builders and Brews. Uh, and I do a few other things, but I want to follow up on what you just said there. I didn't think of it before when we were chatting, but the maybe you could be involved if I like. If I had endless time and resources, I would love to do a research project to make a what like a bastard family tree of construction companies in Calgary. Because if you start going back, like at both construction and design firms, it's incredible how this industry is set up to sort of spawn off other individual firms. So when you start tracking like, I don't know, like, well, you mentioned Doug Rollick. I know you've had him as a guest before. I bet you he could say, like, okay, I used to work for these guys, mm -hmm. and my project mm -hmm. manager went from here to there, and mm -hmm. then my other project manager started his own company, and now he's successful. And he's – so there's a sort of a – it's a nature of the industry, but it's also a fundamental flaw with the industry because every time you start a new thing, the sort of institutional knowledge that you gained at your previous location yeah. just goes away. So yeah. it, like, creates this sort of fragmented industry. Um so there's a puzzle. There's a puzzle in there. If anybody wants to solve it, please mm -hmm. go for it. Mm -hmm. I know we'll make a big, we'll get a bunch of beers and a bunch of sticky notes and we'll make that big bastard family <laughs> tree for the last 20 years of construction companies in Calgary. It is interesting because I think, uh, you know, as a trade person, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of doing your own thing, right? Yeah. You know, you're kind of, you have a task and you kind of go do it. You have yep. your own tools and you're kind of self-sufficient. Yeah. And then if you put that beside um, having any like entrepreneurial energy, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm going to go start my own thing. Yeah. So it's that, and it just keeps on growing and growing. And then all of a sudden there's 500 builders and yeah. 700 electricians yeah. and 1,000 plumbers. Which is glorious, but it's so like, but I don't know if you're capturing as much information from those iterations as you, as yeah. you could be if somehow there was more, more connectivity between all those different groups. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting. Who's going to start this thing? I don't know. I've been talking about that for years. At some, point, at some point, I'm just going to have to like, maybe I'll do, maybe we'll host a Builders and Brews event that's just that, where it's like, okay, everybody bring the design firm, you like your design history, and we'll just start yeah. like, there's a work, there's a workshop there that could be, that could be performed to at least start mapping it out. It's like a construction for, it's like antra, ancestry tree for construction. Yeah. 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 There's something in there. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, you've seen a couple of these. Yes. And so the kind of the, what I like to do is just let the guests go back as far as they want to go. And the cool thing for me is, you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't know shit about you. The only, yeah. the reason you and I connected was because I saw that you were doing something cool, tail gunner, which yeah. are my buddies. Yeah. And then, you know, the internet connects and yeah. here we are. So yeah. this is cool for me. So yeah, take it back as far as you want to go. And uh, that's like how you grew up, where you grew up, what inspired you, um, you know, just what you're interested in growing up, and I'll just kind of drag you along, and we'll end up to uh, where you are today. All right. Uh, we'll think about how long I want to make the story, but I think we can go back. We can go back pretty far. So when I was um, up back to my like earliest memories, kind of age five, six, sort of. It's funny to think when you actually start remembering things that aren't bicycle crashes. But yep. I remember a bunch of bicycle crashes there. Um, but at that time, I lived in Burnaby, uh, BC, with my family. Uh, and my dad felt called to go become a pastor. So that set us on a journey for the next 15 or 20 years uh, of traveling all over Canada and the U.S. Um, while he pursued his education as a pastor uh, and in, did internships in different churches um, mm -hmm. and went to different schools. Did so he, that, uh, sorry. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he just decided to become a pastor. Was well, the, like was um was the church always part of his life, and yeah, then he decided yeah, to go yeah. all in. Yeah, that's a great, uh, good question. Sorry, uh, the his father was also a pastor, but he was like determined to not be. Um, but then he he missed the mark, so he felt, in his words, he felt called by God to go pursue ministry. Crazy. Um, uh, maybe we have different perspectives on that as I've gotten older, but he felt called and compelled to mm. go pursue that, and my. 
uh, my mom and my family went along for the ride, and yep. it was not it was not without precedent because his dad was also a pastor, yep. um, so he had some sort of foundation in what that world would look like. But what it meant for us was like moving to Edmonton for uh, two years, and then moving away, and then moving back to Edmonton for a year while he went to King's College. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we moved to Ontario. Uh, then we moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. There's a seminary there that he that he Crazy. had to go to. And then we bounced back and forth from there. So like by the time I was uh, 21, I think I had moved 23 times or something. Crazy. A couple of those were as an adult near the end. So that's a big part of my upbringing. But one of the anchors in that upbringing was all of my uncles all worked in construction. Not all, but most of them. And the ones that I the ones that I kind of remember. Um, they all worked in construction in, in various jobs, uh, construction or there was like three streams. It seemed like they either worked in growing flowers and greenhouses or they worked in construction or they worked in ministry. So mm-hmm. I had those models. And when you look at those, it's like, okay, yeah, construction looks the best to me. Mm-hmm. So that's what I pursued um, when I got out of high school. So when I was finished high school, I lived in uh, southwestern Ontario at the time. Yep. And then I went, uh, actually, well, my principal invited me to leave school a little bit early. So I took took him up on his offer uh, and went out to BC to start working in construction with my uncles. Early? Uh, yeah. Like that's like a, you know, I guess here's, you were so accustomed to bouncing around. Yeah. To go from out east to go. Yeah, that didn't matter. And I had family there still. So mm. it was like, it was an easy move and I was ready to just, I was ready to get moving and start um, going to work basically. Yep. School didn't really, didn't, I wasn't the best at, yep. at that. When you were um, bouncing around for all those like informative years of your life, mm-hmm. what happens then? Like for me, you know, I went to the same school from kindergarten to grade nine. Yeah. You know, then I went to high school for three years. So I yeah. went, literally I went to two schools for all, you know, I could ride my bike to both schools. It was like, a, you know, my whole community started to be, was being built at a young yeah. age. What does it look like for you when you're bouncing around like crazy? Yeah. So that, that's interesting. And so, so I, I'm of, I'm, I'm of a couple different minds on this, but I know that I know in my experience, like I look back, I was the oldest, so I had four younger siblings. Okay. And so you kind of get a case study on how that model plays out for four, for five different people. Yep. Um, but for me, I liked it uh, in retrospect, at least, because every time you move, it gives you an opportunity to kind of change things about your character that are shaped by how other people perceive you. So if you're the, if you're the class clown, you're kind of you kind of get stuck into that like yeah. oh Jeff's gonna Jeff's gonna do something silly here I know it just mm-hmm. wait like you get stuck in that model even though it might not resonate with who you actually are at that time as you've gotten older so every time you move you get an opportunity to kind of change things or try out new things about your own personality yeah. whether you're cognizant of it or not it's it's a unique opportunity to shape that um, and mm-hmm. I always liked playing sports so I never really had a hard time meeting new people because sports would become a forum to to get involved and meet new people and yep. um, get engaged in a community or a school community, wherever I was. So did you, um, yeah. it wasn't uncomfortable walking into these different, these different scenarios? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. And, oh, the, okay. and the reason I'm of two minds uh, about it but is because I'm on the other side of it now. You can be reflective on what was happening back then. Uh, I couldn't, I couldn't but then. No, in that time, time though, yeah, you probably shoot yeah, yourself. Now, now I can. Yeah. Yeah. It would be like, yeah. Then it was, it was always kind of stressful and like, and they weren't small moves either. It wasn't like moving across the city. Mm. It was like, mm. I look back and I'm, I'm amazed at how my, my mom and my dad were able to kind of string it all together with, with five kids and mm. not a ton of income and, mm. uh, and not, no support. Like moving to a new place now, we have like, I, I think now, okay, if I were to move to a new city, if I moved to Regina, how would I go about developing a community? And I'd like, well, I'd use Instagram as a tool. And I'd go here and I'd join this meetup and mm. I'd join that um, that men's soccer league and I would get my kids enrolled in this before the kind of internet like you couldn't do any of that yeah. I have no idea like I, my, my parents had a had sort of a faith-based community that would that would that they would be able to engage with in each new yeah. place they went to but even that's like you can't fully count on that and that would still be alarming so the reason I'm on both sides of that whole moving issue is because now I have kids and so yeah. now you're like I want my kids to have some sort of um, resilience programmed in. So you want to put them through hardship, but not undo suffering, right? So how do you strike that balance? So recently we actually moved within Calgary, um, which to me is like, you can just move. We'll just get our, we'll just move our stuff over there. No big deal. But I kind of forgot that, oh yeah, my kids have to, who are eight and seven, 
it's a big deal. Like, yeah. They haven't done this before. They lived in one house for their whole lives. Like, yeah. The house that we just moved out of is the longest I lived in one house in my whole life. And that was nine years and I'm in my 40s. So it's That's like, crazy to say. man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's weird. So, so now I look at it through, through their lens. But, um, but I also think that it's a good... Um, it's it's a good exercise to go through for them. Like yep. they still have their same friends because we're close by the same neighborhood, but they'll also develop new friends. And like I said, they get. We had that conversation as a family. Like, look, you have this opportunity. Like, maybe you didn't like being the guy who was good at math. Mm-hmm. Like, you you can reshape that. Mm-hmm. You can do something else. So, it's do you um, do you think without sport, do you think that your scenario, your experiences would have been would have been different? You know, you bounce into these different neighborhoods and schools, and you're just you know, if you're into whatever. Yes, yeah, hundred hundred percent. And I and I like I was a bit weird because I vacillated between like sports and reading, and I mm. so I could entertain myself on my own because I would be I would be in a book all the time, or I'd be running around like a maniac. Like mm. I was I was pre. Um, pre the time when ADHD was was a thing that people diagnosed. So I, I was ahead of that by a few years. My dad actually got diagnosed with it when he was in his 30s, but I kind of just I dodged the, the diagnosis for a few years, but that's probably a part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Without sport, um, it would have been a very different, it would have been a very different upbringing for me. I, I like to think I would have found other ways of connecting with people, mm-hmm. but that was certainly the certainly the easiest. And to be clear, I was never... I, I'm, I'm moderately good at sports, but I would just yeah. bust my ass and play whatever was available yeah. and have and try and play as a team, and that always that always contributed to getting along with people. Um, so you get asked to leave high school early. Yeah, yeah. Oops. <laughs> Smooth. I like sorry, how you sorry, like how you put sorry, it, Mom. Yeah. <laughs> um, and through high school, like, what's going on? Is it, um, are you, are you starting to work at a young age? Like, are you, are you bouncing around so often that you just can't really No, no, go no, apply? no, I was always working. So one, and, and that's part of it is once I got a sense of like, wait a second, the skills that I have. So I went to small, um, I went to Christian schools all the way through and yep. I went to like the one I was in high school in was quite a small, uh, fairly conservative Christian school. So just things that I thought about and pushed up against which was like any kind of rule or any kind of sort of arbitrary like you got to follow this because mm-hmm. because so and so says so mm-hmm. um i didn't i didn't stick too well with me so there yep. were some there were some times when like um just dumb dumb stuff like that you do when, when you're a kid well maybe it's not that dumb but like are making the case just to play devil's advocate in a like what our wasn't family health class, but whatever it was called in a Christian school, like making the case for maybe sometime abortion should be considered. And like that was immediately to the principal's office right. and like and a dressing down and detention. And it yeah. was like, but I'm just trying to talk about these things. Yeah. Like I don't I don't even really mean it. Maybe I, I don't know what I think. I'm yeah. fifteen. Like I don't mm. I shouldn't be anyway, so yeah, that I, I just I got stuck there. So I actually and I had a taste of going to work in construction uh, in between grade 11 and 12. Okay. Like summertime job? Yeah. I went, I flew out to BC or I drove out actually. I've driven that, made that drive a few times from Ontario to BC. So I drove out. To go I see worked. family? No, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Both before. Yep. Cause like you couldn't, it was, it was cost prohibitive to fly with seven people across mm-hmm. the country. So we would drive yep. uh, more regularly. But then I grade between grade 11 and 12. Yeah. I'd drove out to BC and worked building greenhouses with one of my uncles, like these massive, like 15, 20 acre greenhouse structures. And then once I had a sense of like, wait a second, the things I I like to do, work hard, be part of a team, those have value. And somebody's going to like literally pay me for those things. Um, Then I just kind of got that bug and never really looked back. But I had worked on farms and worked on, um, I was always working on something when I was younger. Did you... um did you know young, like in high school, that the trade, like, you know, manual labor, using your hands? Yeah. Did you, were you did you know that was your kind of your path? Like yeah, you, versus yeah. Versus like sitting sit in an office and... I knew, an, well, I knew an academic path wasn't for me, but that's very much like it's, again, in that window of time, which, which I hope is being corrected now or I see it being corrected, where like university was the only path you were considering. Anything else was less than. Like I remember sitting in an office with my um, our high school's guidance counselor mm-hmm. who was also my father's guidance counselor in it when he went to high school in Hamilton, which gives you a sense of how in, in touch with the times he this guy was, Mr. Vandermolen. So he he said like, well, if you really pick it up, you, maybe you can go to community college. And I was thinking like, boy, man, you're way off base. Like 
how how could he look around and not recognize that the demographic that was paying the tuitions and thereby his salary largely was comprised of farmers, uh, framers, and other blue collar workers? Mm-hmm. Like how could he how could he sort of skew the values that they demonstrate every day? And the com- anyway, so I got I got quite annoyed because um, I knew that none of those paths were for me. I was not going to sit in a classroom for any longer than I than I needed to. And you knew what the other option was. Yeah, and I knew what the other option was. Yeah. I know that, like, look, somebody will pay me. Like, when I'm 18, somebody will pay me 20 bucks an hour right now to go bust my ass, which is all I want to do. Like, mm-hmm. so leave me alone and let me go do that. So that's sort of what that mm-hmm. what that turned into. It's interesting. Your experience with a guidance counselor is similar to mine. You and I might be the same vintage. I'm 77. Yeah, 80 for me. Yeah. Yeah. So coming out of high school, you're you're trying to figure out what the next move is. My marks are horseshit. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, like 49 in math and 60 yeah. in social studies. Uh, so you go sit in these things. You know, yeah. when you're coming up to your last semester in high school, and you're like, and they're they're asking you questions and. To, and I, to be fair to him, I didn't do myself. This is I remember that day that meeting was in the so in the early morning class. We had a, I forget what the class was even called, but him and I had a, that same guy, guidance counselor was also a teacher, and we had a disagreement about, um, I don't even know what the topic was, but he argued that you weren't allowed, you weren't allowed to argue from a place of, from personal history or personal experience. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, my personal experience is the only thing I have besides, besides books. And so my argument was like, what is history except like a shared personal experience? Like it's ridiculous that I can't talk about this. And then he left the room and then I was just fucking around. You know, you, you would throw your pencil and try and stick it in the, oh, yeah, in yeah. the t- ceiling tile. Yeah. But I somehow hit a fluorescent, I hit the fluorescent light bulb and it broke. So it shattered on my, on my desk. And when he came back in the classroom, I had a broom and I was trying to dump the glass pieces out the window. I don't know why I didn't put them in the garbage can. So I was, I was not, I'm, I, I earned yeah, some he, of the, he didn't want I, to deal with I you. earned some of the uh, some of the shit that he was that he was throwing at me, but yeah, it was funny. The only thing they were willing to consider when I did like the um, when I did the like interest survey, like these are the things you might be good at. Yep. It was actually like a lawyer and police officer, so I was like, okay, like police officer, I'll I'll consider, and yeah. I considered that um, briefly, but then I got work and then never never looked back. But it'd be interesting. Yeah, I wonder what the guidance counselor game is like now. Like I, I wonder. Idea. Because I'd be, I would, I would freaking love to do that job. Like, especially when you accept that, like, kids in their teen years, certainly guys are just idiots. Like, mm-hmm. they're not going to listen anyway. The mm-hmm. best you can do is hope to plant like a couple seeds yeah. and then send them on their way. Yeah. But it'd be interesting to understand what that, what that sort of scene is like now. Like, what do kids want to be besides social media influencers? It, imagine, imagine being like a guidance counselor and and you're sitting across from a 15 year old and, you know, what are you, what are you interested in? What kind of direction yeah. do you see, you know, your life going? And they're like, yeah, I think I want to be a YouTube star. Yeah. And if this guidance counselor is like, you know, anything over 50. Yeah. That's going to be an awkward conversation. Oh, I know. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> like, but the, but it's funny because you're trying to think about the equivalency when we were growing up. Like, what did we have that was sort of an aspirational, like, NHL? I want to be an NHL, I want to be in the NHL or I want to be like, I, I don't know what that is. It's interesting how that, how that's changed sort of what kids aspire to be. But that's a scary one because it was like 70% of, of kids that was legitimately their response where they like wanted to be a, a YouTube star or a social media influencer yep. as like a career, which right. there's going to be some, but there aren't going to be that many. Yep. Yeah. Um, so you get to BC? Oh, yeah. We're still on my, we're still on no, my good. I'm gonna, uh, I got you going. Um, ooh, yeah, so we're in BC. So now I'm... So now I'm working in greenhouse construction, um, and I know that a life in the construction industry is the right path for me. So once I've kind of made that decision, now I'm not going to fuck around. Now I'm going to try to be the best in the construction industry I can be. So that meant um, going to work with a different one of my uncles in high-rise construction, so commercial construction. So I did that. Also also in Vancouver. Um, So I did that for the next uh, seven years or so, and that was like... That'll that'll wear on you. That's mm. like the big towers that you mm. see and the big like fly tables. It's awesome because it's an awesome education in moving big shit around, yep. like and 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 moving on like moving on a pace. Like once you got to typical floors on those high rises, and then you're trying to turn over a whole floor mm. within five days. But you would get you would get like a uh, I forget what they would do. There was some there was old school construction. There would be some ridiculous 
stuff. We would have some parties in the parkade. Anyway, they incentivized the they incentivized like if we can get this done yeah, in yeah. four days, we'll have a, we'll take Friday afternoon off. We'll have a big party. We'll yeah. basically just get hammered in the parkade of this in in this weird parkade of this building. Um, so we would just bust ass and try to get this done. So I pursued my apprenticeship throughout that. So I did my whole apprenticeship at BCIT, and I trained with a couple of really good um, carpenters in that industry. That was the start? You went to school when you got that job? Was that what the start of your... Yeah, yeah, because yeah, okay. I had to be... In the greenhouse construction, it was it was fun. And I, I've... It's funny, I look back now, and I've never felt more wealthy. Like, I made 14 bucks an hour, and I drove from Chilliwack... Uh, no, wait, sorry, I drove from... Delta. I lived in Delta and I drove to Chilliwack sometimes to build the greenhouses, which is like an hour and five minute drive. And I made uh, 14 something bucks an hour and I lived in a house with five other guys. And I never felt more wealthy in the rest of my life than I did then for some mm. reason. So, cause it just like, I loved working and you, my expenses were low. Yep. Um, anyway, it was funny looking back on that, but in greenhouse construction, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a license. You could become licensed as a or certified as a glazer, that's like a trade, Mm -hmm. but I knew I wanted to be a carpenter, so I had to go into more of a carpentry-based trade, so hence the switch, and hence I pursued that for the next, yeah, it took me six or so years to get it done between working and going to school and working and going to school. Um, Did it make sense right away, you know, when you start going to school? When, yeah. you, when you're working towards your trade, it's like yeah, two months of school and then X amount of hours, two months of school, X amount of hours. Oh, heck yeah, yeah. yeah. And because um, and because it was something that, like, the, the flaw with a lot of high schoolers, certainly my high school education, was, like, it just wasn't relevant to me. Like, I, we, when, when my high school career was really, was really wobbling was when I took a, um, I forget, I think it's a chemistry course, but we were studying stoichiometry, and the only answer I got right on the whole test was whatever the definition of stoichiometry was, which is, like, the study of relative amounts of substances involved <laughs> in a chemical reaction. I, I got my name, and I got the definition of stoichiometry, and the rest was just like, oh, fuck. So it was just blanks. So I got, I didn't do too good in that one. So she actually kicked me out of that class after that test. She's like, Byron, you're not, you're not contributing to the class. So then I went across the hall and did grade 13 English because they had, we had grade 13. Yep. And I just talked to the teacher. I'm like, look, Mrs. Drost, I'm not going to do any of the projects. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to do any of the projects. I'm probably going to fail, but I will contribute to class when I'm here. And I'll read all the books and I'm happy to talk about it. And she's like, she said, ah, it's my last year of teaching. I don't care. If you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. And that was the best class I had in all of high schools. And they took the pressure off. Mm-hmm. But the difference from there to trade school is trade school was like directly applicable to yeah. what I was doing the next day, which felt really good. And so that's been kind of my bar for any further education I pursue now is like, am I going to use this? Can I apply this to my work tomorrow? And if mm-hmm. I can, then it's a yes. But if it, if I can't, I'm not as willing to, to kind of engage with it. So yeah, trade school was great. I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, so what happened after the high rise? You were there for six, seven years, work with your uncle. Did yeah. you finish school while you were at the high rise? I got, I got tired of getting rained on. It rains a lot. Yeah. So, so I got tired of, uh, of working out in the rain and I went to work with another one of my uncles I should, so i should send these guys more birthday cards how uh, like. <laughs> what um why is it that all your uncles were in these like three like i don't know what is it i don't know i i, I never thought about that until i said it well it's because it's um i don't know it's just part of the way they grew up so i'm so i have a dutch background so yep. where they were all dutch immigrants or their their parents were yep um on both sides actually so i think when they came new to canada those are just the kind of roles they yep. fell into like i said those three paths the ministry greenhouses mm-hmm. and flowers and construction mm-hmm. and so i think i just resonated to the construction Crazy. side yeah. so on to the next uncle on to the next uncle, Uncle Calvin. Uh, and this was great because Uncle Calvin is from the school of like master carpenters. So we would build houses, but we would put in the footings. We would form the walls. We would frame the whole house. We would do as much stuff of the ticketed trades as we could while still abiding by our building permits. We would do some of the plumbing rough in and the plumber would come in on the last day. I remember it when I look back now with how we engage with plumbers, I'm like, none of our plumbers would go for this, but we would plumb the whole house. The plumber mm. would come in on the last day and be like, mm-hmm, like essentially inspect it. Yep. Calvin would pay him 200 bucks and then he would he would move on. Yep. So, but that gave me an education in home building that's sort of hard to replicate like right all, now. You knew all the pieces. Yeah, I knew all the pieces and every, how everything was supposed to fit together. Yep. I knew how to do it myself, but I also knew enough not to get bullshitted when I was on, which has benefited me well in my career now. Yeah. 
Um, so that was Calvin. So we did renovations and custom home building. Um, soup to nuts. I don't know why. Do you know why soup to nuts? I'm no. legit asking. Dude, I, I haven't heard that in... But people say it every now and then. And I don't know... I, I, so one of those things, you know, you have things where like you don't want to just go to Google and find yeah, out yeah. what soup to nuts, yeah, where, where that person, came from. The person sitting yeah, across so the is smarter. If you don't know, Jeff. No. <laughs> uh, the, so anyway, but so we would we would build these houses, soup to nuts, and that was a great education. Then we bought a house, uh, lived in it for a few years, renovated it, and sold it. And this okay. was kind of when the Vancouver real estate prices were starting to go a little a little squirrely in, yep. the, in the right direction for us at that time. Mm-hmm. So then I was in my late 20s, had been in construction for 10 years or so, had my um, journeyman ticket, uh, and then it felt like time for a change. So when we sold that house, I took uh, the money that I made from that and basically took a year off and I went to woodworking school. So I lived on the Sunshine Coast uh, in north of Vancouver there. And I had a year where I went to um, furniture making school. So and it was it was freaking crazy. It was it was crazy in that it was amazing. And again, I didn't stop and like reflect and think how cool this experience this was. So I lived in like a little cabin. So I rented this, this little cabin from a guy who was a, a glass blower. That was like his whole job, which is crazy to see. I would mm-hmm. I would sit in and uh, and help him a little bit. Um, it's a crazy craft. But then I lived in this little cabin. I rode my mountain bike through the rainforest to school, which was where we like we made our own hand planes, and we would take like a piece of raw steel and turn that into a um, a knife for cutting dovetails, and like and then we made a bunch of pieces of furniture throughout that. So that was uh, nine or ten months that I did that, um, and I skipped over that. Prior to that, I also used some of that money to go traveling for four or five months. I went through Asia. Um, and into Mongolia, and then in, oh, why can I, oh, Nepal for a mm. while. So anyway, so I did that, and then that, and then after that, I was super broke, and this new skill that I learned was great, but it wasn't actually something I could use to, to pay the bills. Is it a ticketed skill, or like, is no, it? It's no, no, like it's a, not. It's just like a, most of the other people in the class were either like brand new to, to um, either they were pursuing an arts career, and they yep. thought this would be a good sort of augment to, their um, art and design pursuit, or they were like retired engineers who just loved woodworking. Hmm. And then there were guys like me in the middle. Um, Why'd you were, go? Uh, like what pulled you there? I, so it was kind of, um, it was around the age where I was starting to realize that while I loved construction, um, hauling sheets of plywood around for the rest of my life just isn't sort of how I wanted to um, experience construction. So I always liked woodworking so I just wanted to get better at that. So yep. that's sort of why I why I chose to go with, there. With what kind of goal though? Like, so let's say you get better at woodworking. What would that What would that allow you to do? I, the ideal model of that, and it's actually probably more approachable now with social media and the ability to reach potential customers. Mm. But the idea then would be to like work on commission based furniture. Um, mm. So you build custom one off pieces of furniture, or yep. you develop a line or two that resonates with people and is hosted in galleries or picked up by boutique stores. Uh, And then you, you do that. But when you think about like the hours input into like a truly custom piece of furniture, which takes hundreds of hours to complete Mm -hmm. the amount you have to sell that for is so outrageous that it's hard to sort of get paid that way. So actually my, my current goal and what I'm, what I'm on track to do now is we have the privilege of building quite large homes or renovations designed by architects usually or or working closely with interior designers. But what I want to do now is come around to that furniture making from sort of the back end where with every custom project that we deliver, I'll work with the design team to make a custom piece of furniture and then I'll build that. And that's part of my like role in our accountability chart is like um, furniture maker yeah. where I can... I get paid for the construction part, yep. but I can also pursue this sort of hobby yep. craft, which is directly adjacent, but I'm not counting it for my living. It's just a nice sort of bonus yep. um, to add on. That's to cool. That. Yeah. Hmm. See if I can see if I can make it happen. We've got one of our first one, one of our first projects where that will occur uh, coming up this year. Cool. So we'll see. Are you going to like document this and talk about it? I should, yeah. Yeah, it's probably yeah. a good idea. Probably a good idea, <laughs> says the marketing guy. Yes, yeah, I should. Because <laughs> it's because it's really cool, right? Like, yeah, it's um, you know, this con- this conversation goes sideways, but 
you know, every time when you own your own business and you're trying to do your own thing, you got to do something different, right? There's yeah. got to be a thing that makes you different so that you're not yeah. talking about price all the time. You're yeah. not talking about products all the time. So yeah. to have a, you know, it's a really cool idea. Yeah. And it makes so much sense. For yeah, you. It, it fits my it fits my background. I was reading a book. Um, I was uh, over the holidays. Um, I was reading a book called The Blueprint, which is quite good. But it's all about like going back and like essentially writing your life story and looking for like common themes throughout that. When did you, um, you read this over Christmas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And looking for common themes, and that is one of them. Is that is like that commitment to craft, and then sort of to what we talked about before, where like, but also my desire to like foster collaboration and bring people together. So how can I like how can I weave these things that make me me together mm-hmm. and put it into a place where people actually pay me to do mm-hmm. it? So mm-hmm. that's sort of the that's sort of the struggle. But yeah, then furniture making school with Ocean Coast, which is awesome. Uh, met some great people. I still have some really good connections from there. Yep. But then that led me out here to Calgary, which um, which was 12 years ago now, 13 years ago maybe. Okay. Uh, out here to Calgary working for a large custom home. No, I came back here because I needed money. I was working here on one of the LRT stations. I went back to the commercial world, this yep. time as a foreman. Um, you know anybody? You just applied for the job? And no, it's with old bosses. they like, are you fucking done that woodworking bullshit yet? Come back <laughs> to work. So, yep. okay, so I came back here. I got to see why, you know, like government projects where it's like, this thing was supposed to be $60 million, but it's actually $340 million. I was like part of that $340 million, unfortunately, um, and got to see just the lack of efficiency. And it's not outright graft, but it's just like bullshit that occurs within those scenarios. So I had a crew of six guys for almost six months that I had to keep busy on a standby code. So we essentially did nothing, but we couldn't lay everybody off because mm-hmm. it was busy time here in Calgary because we wouldn't have been able to get anybody back. So we were like building picnic tables and like sweeping the Walmart parking lot one day. I remember we had like six guys sweeping the Walmart parking lot and I was just like, what, what is this? So that was kind of soul crushing. So then out of that, um, I got all my student debt paid off. I got everything done. I bought a condo here. Had you been here before? Have you, been, have you been through Calgary before? No. Okay, this is like your driving f- through, but, but never I, like never working for any. No. Okay. And my first year of being here was a very stilted. Like I worked like I don't even know how much seventy or eighty hours a week. Uh, would maybe make it to the mountains on the weekends, but I didn't really get to see Calgary really, really well. My yeah. like the main venue I went to was the Rusty Cage. Do you remember that? Up on Thirty Seventh. Oh yeah. You went there for yeah. the Power Hour. Oh boy, yeah. No Re- way. Regularly, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I got I got kicked out of there for being in, I was in a wheelchair once. And not I wasn't in a wheelchair, there was just a wheelchair in my parkade. And so I had a full beard and uh and somebody bet me that I couldn't get I couldn't be in a wheelchair for a while. So I went home, shaved off my beard except for the mustache, and then I was just anyway. Power hour. Really stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That but that was a dumb place. But again, that culture in, in commercial construction, yeah. unfortunately, of like Yeah drinking drinking mm-hmm. a lot and yeah. sort of that like it's like a it's like a screwed up sort of brotherhood of yeah. like of, of misfits and mm-hmm. it, while it's exciting for a little while it's not when I looked around there was nobody there who I wanted to sort of model my life after long yep. term so I was able to get out of there went to work for a custom home builder here uh, building a large house in Roxborough yep. uh, and then the flood came along so after the flood we had just completed uh, this house, and after the flood, the homeowner invited myself and my partner back to do the flood restoration, which was so a large restoration. Finished the house, and then it got flooded. Yeah, like six or seven months later. This Crazy. Is, uh, yeah, a couple houses in um, yeah this house in Roxborough. Then we were building another one down in Rideau, a uh, few in that neighborhood along mm-hmm. the along the river there. Yeah. So when he got flooded, he invited my partner Brian and I back to do the restoration, which was the whole main floor and the basement of this like. 10,000 square yep. foot super modern house. Is this your, sorry, at this time, are you working for somebody or is this your own thing? Uh, that I had decided to go out on my own um, after that. So I decided to go out on my own just like two months before the flood. Okay. Because um, you were just ready? And listen, Yeah. I've been listening here for a little while. There seems to be a common theme with you that you, either you have something, you have your own thoughts. Yeah. You have something to say. Yeah. So to, to start your own thing was... Um, did you always know you're going to get there? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was. I, I did. I didn't know exactly what what shape it would take, but I'm not. I don't take direction well, Jeff. So I so I knew that that was going to be something that was part of my part of my future. And you were you were like essentially. Did you know that you were just 
um, building up all these different experiences so that when you decide to do your own thing that you're ready? No, no, not at all. I was just, I was just, just chasing whatever, just jumping, not, not chasing whatever. I was, it was always like, um, I was moving with, I was moving with intention. It's yeah. that same ethos of like, if something's going to add to my, if it's going to improve my skills and I can apply it tomorrow, mm-hmm. then I'll pursue that. And mm-hmm. I knew that the next gap where I, where I needed that help was, um, interacting directly with clients and having the ability to sort of form my own team and, and, uh, and establish my own sort of um, way of thinking and working. Cause mm-hmm. I just saw some things that I didn't, I didn't quite like, and I didn't like how, um, I never like when construction people are made to feel, made to feel less than. Yeah. And I saw that happen in, in various forms all across. And it was sort of inherent in the way that the structures were set up, even like a, a hierarchical, like you're a project manager, you're a superintendent, you're a foreman, you're a lead foreman, you're mm-hmm. an apprentice. You're like there's, there's almost like a, a militaristic structure to that, which yeah. is necessary to understand where you fit in that equation. But I didn't always, it, it didn't jive with me all the time. So mm-hmm. I knew, yes, I knew I was going to do my own thing mm-hmm. someday. But you're being pretty methodical of how you're building your experiences. Yeah, I wanted to, yeah. I which wanted is to, yeah. very different. I think, I think there's, um, I think you look at it probably... I might be putting words in your mouth, but it makes sense to you, right? You're doing something that makes sense that you're going to use, and you can. And some people, yeah, they can't see that, right? They they don't know they don't know what they they don't know what their end goal is. So yeah. then all of a sudden to, to start putting things on the board that lead them there, yeah, they don't they don't know where to start. Yeah, and I think at one at one point it's still the same. My like my end goal um, is to is to build success for the people around me and give them a give them a good living in a respected position within our industry. But my other goal is to get to a place where I can build one of these projects that I get the, get the blessing luxury of doing for my clients, build one of those for myself, like mm-hmm. an architectural, mm-hmm. properly designed, like well put together home. So mm-hmm. that's kind of one of my sort of ultimate goals that I'm trying to get to here. Cause cool. there's some, there's some interesting homes out there and there's some interesting ways to think about yeah. how they're put together. Cool. Uh, yeah, you and I will talk about that off the, off camera because <laughs> that, that's yeah, that'd be really cool to watch. Um, so when you start your own thing, yeah, what's the, what's what's the road look like as soon as you start? Well, working? well, so for those for long term Calgar- Calgarians, remember that flood and long term Calgarians, which I was two or three years in. Uh, fun side story: I also got married three or four days after the flood, so that was like crazy in yeah, town here. here. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we had friends and family coming in from all over. We got married on our friend's farm in DeWinton. Oh, cool. Um, so we did, a, we did a big outdoor wedding, and it was great, but it was chaotic because, like, yeah. I had my condo in Connaught. Aletha uh, had her condo in Inglewood, mm-hmm. and we couldn't get into either of them. And we're trying to, like, all our friends and family are coming in. They can't drive through Canmore because the highway's gone. So it was, a, it, was, it was pretty chaotic. But the flood in the neighborhood we were working in created a whole ton of work, right? If, yeah. if you remember that time, like, there was no shortage of, basements that needed to be redone. So mm-hmm. we ended up doing three projects in Roxborough, one of which was this one. So we just got kind of like um, catapulted into needing to build a team. So we hired yeah. four or five guys. Uh, I was still working on the tools and managing projects at the time. And then um, that just shifted into working with the same architects on another house. One, one of the, one of the, and then one of the ways we found success is we moved forward through that journey of building Brookwright, my legacy company, um, was I saw a gap here in Calgary in how design was considered as part of the building process. So a lot of builders and a lot of my contemporaries, and this is still the case, they're like, either they're driven more by a commodity mindset, like build a square foot for as low as you can and sell it for as much as you can. But they also viewed architects and designers as an impediment to progress rather than as a necessary part of the team to build really cool shit. So Mm -hmm. we just flipped that around and we marketed and connected almost solely with architects and designers because if we can make them look like heroes on a project, they're going to do 10 projects a year, whereas a homeowner is going to do one and then they might do another one in 10, 15 years or they might tell their friends, but if you can make architects look like rock stars and also properly consider why they're designing something that way or why they want that detail to be executed exactly like that mm. or where they can find opportunities to describe the intent and trust us as a build team to carry it out, which makes their work more efficient, 
um, because they're also trying to run small businesses. Anyway, so I, we wanted to focus more closely on engaging with the design side rather than different. just building stuff. That's, that's, that's a different thought process? For, I think it is, yeah. yeah. And I, I'm asking because, yeah. Um, yeah, just it <laughs> makes all the sense of the world to me. Being I'm not in the industry, yeah. but, but making that connection. Yeah, and that's, and it, but it's because those, um, those like really high-end architecturally designed custom homes are quite a bit more, can be quite a bit more expensive yep. than, than sort of the average built product. Mm -hmm. So there's a, you're necessarily in sort of a niche market at that point, but so many of the people that come into that niche of the industry come from the production side, like the the Tricos and the yep. whomever else exists in in that sort of greenfield development world. They feed into this, but they they don't they don't leave that ethos of like just give me the plans and get the fuck out of the way. We mm -hmm. got this. They yep. don't leave that behind. So it was. It, I, I think it was. I don't know if it's necessarily, it's not revolutionary by any means, but it resonated more closely with how I thought about yep. my role in this business. And mm -hmm. so that's something that caught on and that's kind of continued to create success for us yep. um, up till now even. Um, so the transition, um, transition from that company to where you are, mm -hmm. it's all the same same work? Like you're yep. still custom still, homes, still, still in the same Still in the same lane, still on that same path. Yep. So. Yeah, custom homes and renovations. Um, so what? You, yeah, what you're referring to is we. So I had my company Brookwright, which Brian and I, my my partner, um, we built that up for nine or ten years. But then I was invited to join uh, Alaire Homes, which is a network of builders across North America. Um, mm -hmm. It's a franchise model, so they invited us to join that, which puts it. Um, it was, I guess that is what happened, but yeah, so now I operate under that brand, but yeah, yeah same type of projects, same, cool. like I set my own, I set my own pricing. I pursue the kind of projects I want to pursue. I yeah. build my own team. So I have autonomy within that. I yeah. just wear a different shirt now. Cool. Um, I want you to get into the builds and brews. Yeah, I the, would love to. This is, um, this one's really interesting to me yeah. uh, for a bunch of, like we talked off camera. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, for whatever. I want to know why your head went down this path, and because sure. I think it's going to resonate uh, with me, and and I can't wait to clip it because it's going to make sense to other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so uh, builders and brews. Builders and brews was started because um, I, through some of the work I was doing when I was when I was independent, actually, as when we were Brook right in our third or fourth year, maybe, um, we had the opportunity to help Annex Ales. This is like right when craft beer here in Alberta was kind of kicking off when the guys from Toolshed and um, the folks from Big Rock, I think, helped get a lot of people moving when they lobbied successfully to have those rules changed where now you can be mm. a craft brewery at a manageable scale where you can really start up. So we had this sort of proliferation of craft breweries, one of which was Annex Ales. So they were one of the early, early ones here in Calgary. Um, we had the opportunity to help them build out their tap room. So I was in there, in their tap room, putting cabinets together. They worked with dirt, which was a whole other mm -hmm. uh, interesting adventure just because of a family connection there. So we were, we were working with dirt as well because I was curious about where the future of construction is going and part of what they're doing is, is what that looks like. Anyway, in Annex Ales working um, and we'd be in there. So we're there building cabinetry and, and walls and stuff and other people would always be flowing through, but I would see other brewers come in. So I would see like one I remember specifically was the guys from Banded Peak came in with a pallet. I'm like, what are you guys doing here? Like, why are you bringing this pallet of bags? Oh, we had extra hops. We know Andrew needs it for this batch of beer he's brewing. He wants to try this new thing. These are the hops he needs. We had extra, so we're dropping them off. I thought, okay, that's, that's cool. I haven't seen that before. Then later, other brewers would come in, and this uh, this was the time when they all had the, and they still do, the Blundstones, the the Carhartt pants, and the beard, so you could pick a brewer out of a out of a lineup pretty easily. So they would come in, and I'd be like, hey guys, how's it going? Like, oh yeah, Andrew and Eric here, oh yeah, they're in the back. Like, what are you guys doing here? Oh, we we screwed up setting up this piece of equipment when we set up our brewery, so we just want to walk them through it so they don't do the same thing. Um, and then finally, another set of brewers come in with. Uh, trolleys full of kegs. I'm like, okay, what are you guys doing here? Well, they they need beer when they throw these doors open. Uh, they're going to sell some of our beer, so we're dropping off some kegs. And I thought, holy shit, there's something here that needs to be explored a little bit further because I don't have other contractors dropping off two-by-fours on my sites. I don't have them coming by to say, hey, I noticed that this framing detail is a little bit off. You should probably change that before the inspector gets here. Like, we don't experience that in construction 
So when I pulled um, Andrew aside, I'm just like, what is, what's going on here? He said, well, that's just part of how we operate as an industry. We recognize that by collaborating and building each other up to educate consumers, we can get a bigger share of sort of the, the beer beverage pie and we can be more successful together than we could separately. And so when I saw that and started talking to more brewers and understood how that actually played out, um, we looked at it, why we don't do that in construction and design. Like it's very fragmented sort of, we don't collaborate easily. So I uh, talked to a few of my colleagues in the industry and just said, hey, I wanna try this, you guys in? They said, yeah, let's do it. So we met at Prairie Dog I had a designer named Kevin Gray. Um, he has Timber Ridge Studios and another architectural designer yeah. uh, named Ken, um, Ken Staves. He, they came and gave a presentation on how they approached the pre-construction process, which was just like, it was a conversation I had had with them previously. And you know, he had those conversations. Well, you could probably turn them into guests now, but it's like, that's interesting. More people need to know that. Mm -hmm. So I just took one of those conversations that I had had the privilege of having mm -hmm. and said, let's get 40 or 50 construction design and tradespeople together yeah. and let's tell them that. Yeah. And that uh, just led to hosting, that was probably four years ago now, and yeah. that led to hosting consistent events where we do uh, a little bit of education and a lot of networking and all kinds of connections have been formed through that. And now it's a story that's caught on with people in other cities. So it's starting to grow. Um, we've hosted events, Stefan and I. Um, co-founder, co- Yeah, Stefan is my co-founder. So he yeah. came, Stefan was actually uh, my partner Brian's son and he was studying sports management and working on the Olympic bid, I think back then. But he kind of saw what I was doing. He also saw that I'm a, a visionary and not very good at integrating all the different ideas that, that I have necessarily. So he jumped on board. He said, this is amazing. He was also doing some work in the beer space. He said, let me help you. So he's continued helping me. So he's the cool. co-founder of Builders and Brews. I definitely could not do it without his help and organization, which mm -hmm. has been great. But yeah, we've had the privilege of going to, uh, we had an event in Washington, D.C. We had an event in Orlando. Uh, we had an event in um, we had a couple of events that we haven't even gone to. We've hosted them remotely in Brandon, in Vancouver, uh, and I think we've got one coming up in Toronto. Um, and all the reports back have been like, that was amazing. Like, we didn't know how it was going to go. But you just put construction people in the room with a pint between them and with the right intention, and it's really a pretty easy event to put together. Why um, You're taking for granted your skill set, by the way. P.S. So uh, why are you getting exposure outside of Calgary? Some of that's through the Allaire network. Okay. Um, so like Allaire being a, Allaire has 120 different operating units yep. across North America. So some of it is like, is Allaire looking for ways to, to establish themselves as leaders in yep. their local communities, yep. which is, which is great. Yep. Um, and otherwise it's just through contacts on Instagram and, and mm -hmm. friends of mine in the builder community who, who have either been to an event here or had a friend here in Calgary go to an event and yep. say, you got to do this. Cause it's an awesome way to like the case we make for becoming a local champion, which is what we call our, our regional hosts. Um, the case for becoming a local champion is pretty easy, especially if you're interested in establishing yourself as a, as a local industry leader, mm -hmm. because you're the one that's bringing these people together. And like, I can draw a direct line from that very, very first event that we hosted to building a $6 million house in Canmore. Because mm -hmm. that designer was like, wow, you, you did that. Mm -hmm. I got to talk to you. So you can start making these connections. Um, and sort of part of my hope goal for this year is to get to a place where I can become like basically the ask me anything guy in construction yeah. in Calgary. And it actually happened just before I got here. Uh, a buddy's son was texting me to say, hey, I want to, I'm in my third year carpentry apprenticeship. I'm looking for a job. Who can you, who can I talk to? Oh, well, you can talk to yeah. Tim or you can talk to Rob or yeah. you can talk to Ian. And so here's all their contacts. Like that feels so mm. good to me. And like, I love doing it. If, again, it's back to that. Like if there's a way somebody would pay me to do that. Yeah. That would, that feels good. But if I can, but if I can take the blessings that I've had in my construction career and apply them to this and ease yeah. the way for, ease the way for a few other people, that, that also feels good. Did you, did you know what it was going to turn into? No, not at all. No, no. So it surprised you? Yeah, yeah. And the, 
It's, and we haven't done anything. Like we, uh, Stefan and I joke sometimes that like, despite our best efforts to kill this thing, we haven't succeeded. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, uh, it's kind of funny in that way. That, that connection, right? Like you host the party, bring everybody together. Yeah. You know, they know who you are because you're the person that either invited them or is like, you know, like I said, putting it all together. And it turns into this job down the road. Mm -hmm. Did you know that was going to happen? Uh, no, not really. And it doesn't really feel, it doesn't feel like a, like a job. And what I'm actually looking for now is like, as we scale this, how can I take, uh, maybe I'm on the, but how can I take me out of it? Like, so we're hosting these events without Stefan or I being there was a really interesting exercise because it's kind of like you have to let go and you have to yeah. be clear about your vision and your core values for other people to be able to execute mm -hmm. properly. Um, no, I didn't know. And then when we kind of started to realize, then that was sort of scary on its own, in its own right. And I'll be completely honest, like this is where we, when we set it up as a corporation, we looked at setting it up as a nonprofit, but we stepped back from that just because of the, the legislative burden of running a nonprofit it wasn't mm -hmm. something we wanted to get involved in. Yep. So we set it up as a corporation. We run it like a nonprofit. We're not trying to make money on this thing. Um, and it's still something we're struggling with, not even how to monetize necessarily, how to make it pay for itself. Um, so we're... We're on that path now as it's gotten more attention um, because it's something that sponsors are looking for. Yep. Um, sponsors are looking for a way to connect with their consumers in a more meaningful way than just like having something scroll past yep. their feed that they yep. don't, don't really look at. Do so you we're think, not going to have a problem there. Do you think monetizing it um, another way is just getting jobs? Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Like it, yeah. Was that at the, was that a part of your, when you decided <laughs> so, to like put it all together, you're like, yeah, so, I think I might sort get a of, gig. Sort of. It, there, there's some of that. Um, I, I didn't think it would lead to jobs. No, I thought it would, I thought it would, we talk a lot in my work about um, relationship capital. So like building up, you want to build up a bank of relationship capital so that when you're, yeah. When your framer's not done on a, mm -hmm. on a Thursday and you mm -hmm. say, hey, can you guys come on Saturday because I got the drywallers coming on Monday. Mm -hmm. You have to build up some relationship capital before you can even yep. consider making that ask. Too many people miss the mark on that and just become those like, you're going to fucking be here on Saturday. Mm -hmm. You guys said you'd have this done. That's like, that sucks. That's yeah. not a part of the industry I want to be involved in. So what I think what I saw it as was this is a way for me to start thinking about how I can build up a bunch of relationship capital all at once mm -hmm. and become like a guy where it's like, Hey, do you, can you price this job out for me? Yeah, yeah sure. We'd love to. Yeah. And I read somewhere along the way that the best person, like I think as I'm getting older now, I think more about like mentorship and, and leadership and coaching. And that, so I read somewhere along the way, the best person you're in a position to help is the person you were 10 years ago. So I thought, how can I find a bunch of me's 10 years ago, put them all in a room yeah. and help give them maybe not even the benefit of my experience, but just some some guidance on how to avoid some of the pitfalls that I've been through by virtue of screwing them up. Like mm -hmm. how can you how can you do that? So I think that's what I originally um thought we would be doing. Yeah. And that's still that's still played out, but yeah. in kind of a cool way that I didn't really see happening. So what I find fascinating is that we talked about this quickly, it was like your idea is a different version of my idea with this podcast. Yeah. And, and the way you've built, you, the way you launched your idea and the way you came to, you know, when you formulate the idea, it comes from a good intention. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not a, if I do this, I'm going to get that. Yeah. A lot of people miss the mark when they, when they do something that looks like it has good intentions, but right behind that is this like greasy wheel yeah. where they're trying to get something yeah. for themselves. Yeah. I think these projects that start off with community intention will always, always play out mm -hmm. as long as you're a good person. Yeah. And with, with good intention. So I find, I find it, the minute I figured out what you're up to with this thing, I'm like, oh, this is, this is interesting. This is like a, a live event built around community and in an industry, to your point, that actually isn't built on community. Yeah. It was, it was funny. I was listening to um, some of, when I was listening to some of your past episodes, I was listening to the one with Graham, the the energy innovations yep. guy. Yeah. Actually, so this is, um, oh, I, I will connect with him if, if we can get connected, but I was like, there's an element to what I'm doing and an element to what he's doing. And somewhere in between is like, is um, sort of something that, something I just, I would love to have a beer and brainstorm with if yep. he doesn't drink anymore. But if yep. I could sit down and have a coffee with him 
and talk that through. There would be there's something interesting to unpack there that I would learn from him, and hopefully some of the ideas what we're doing would be able to be applied to what yeah. he's doing. Because and I, that comes from a place where I have friends in the oil and gas industry who have been to uh, builders and brews events just because they're my friends and they're like, I got to check this out, and they they go back and they're like, I wish we could do this in oil and gas. <clears throat> like there's so much we could learn and so many people I would know, and you just have to. You just have to do it. That's the other thing, too, yeah. is a couple of my um, colleagues came to me after, and they're like, man, we've talked about doing this for years, but you just did it. So that's, if there's like one takeaway from this, that people, if you have an idea, just do it. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if it fails or if it's like half of what you hoped, you've done something. Yep. And so that's, that's one of the other differences. Is that probably, and that's probably roots back to like moving a lot and being able to like change things. Yep. It didn't really scare me. Just doing it because it just—that's what you do. You have yeah. a good idea, you just chase it down. Yeah. Um, how much energy are you going to give this? So, like, between family, yeah, your full-time job, and yeah. this, do you yeah. have? Okay, here's the question right beside that: is do you work towards balance, or like, how do you how do you put these three things together? They all kind of gloriously blend together, and I. I have an unfortunate habit of scheduling Builders and Brews events on on significant family days. So I I did it on their anniversary once. I did it on <laughs> my wife's birthday once. I'm not very I'm not very, I, I miss the mark on the family calendar sometimes. But the um, I aim to give it. I I think about it in terms of like kind of four hours a week. Yeah. Stefan probably puts in eight. Um, but we, that's our goal is to get to a place where it can, um, pay Stefan, uh, a salary of some sort so that yep. he can focus more attention on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, like just kind of grassroots and, and I, I struggled with exactly what you were describing before where like, and I, it, it's interesting to start, um, and what you were talking about before in that, like, as soon as you try and commoditize or monetize something, it gets a bit skeezy and you're just, mm-hmm. your kind of back gets up. Yep. The way Builders and Bruce is structured now, and if we continue building it sort of by accident, like let the story tell itself, I think there'll be more long-term value in letting it play out that way than if I was like, fuck construction, I'm yep. doing this. Yep. Like, I think I would ruin it just by like, yep. just by Forcing. jumping on it too much. Yeah. So I think what's, my mind is like wheeling right now. I think what's very interesting for you, what, what you've built out, you're building out a community that's going to drive your business mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. It's going to be this like long relationship build, you know, like the way you want to build your business properly, it's actually going to work. And then I think the other way that the interest, the, the reason Graham sparked your interest, because mm-hmm. I think there's an event built into this thing, Yeah, which is that's yeah. the moment you monetize. Yeah. On yeah. the event side of it. Yeah, we've t- we've talked about that a little bit, but yeah, yeah. keep wheeling, keep wheeling, because that, that, yeah. that's that's where it all makes sense. And this is where people this is where people get so confused on. For me, I explain this as building a brand. Yeah, people get very confused because they're like, "Well, this costs you money to pull this off. It's time, it's energy, it's like a, it's a commitment, right?" And then the first, a lot of the times, the first question is like, "How are you going to make money?" And the minute somebody asks you, like, they don't get it. You're building a foundation that's going to drive everything. And that foundation is going to let you have more home projects yeah. and it's going to let you do events because you're going to, you have built a platform. People trust you. They know this like community project that you've built out and I can monetize that yeah. and that doesn't feel greasy. Yeah. And, and I can, and I can travel, which is like another, another thing I like to do. Like that's one of our goals in Builders and Brews is like, if we can, like I said, I mentioned some of the places have had the chance to go. Yeah. It's also interesting to discover that the craft brewery the craft beer industry is the same yeah. all over the place yeah. like it's it's really cool that even what we had in in florida was mm-hmm. like the same where they're like yeah that's what we do yeah and like it's so neat that this like sort of nascent like industry has has adopted that ethos and it's almost like harder for a large established industry to start thinking that way but i hope if i can be a part of that seed of whatever that looks mm-hmm. like that would feel really good i think it's that i think you were on the exact right path as like a if you went and talked to a marketing company and this marketing company said like, you know, you got to buy ads on Google and you need a, you need a, like an SEO website and you need all this bullshit. Yeah. What you are doing trumps everything that any marketing company could, could, could come up with Yeah. without even knowing, you know, what's actually, how this is going to play out. I'm saying this on camera this year, this day, because the cool thing is in four years when this model is actually built out, yeah. it's going to be. Uh, 
it's going to be awesome to look at and, and watch where you take this thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. And now, yeah, we're going to have, we've got interesting struggles coming up at us soon with like, we, like like anything that grows, you have to get a little more serious about it as it comes along. Like there's some liabilities and there's yep. some like just structures, like underlying structures that need to be in place. Mm-hmm. Those also don't scare me. And it's nice that I can apply lessons from, totally. from other things I've done. We also, I have to give a fair bit of credit to um, Amanda and Shar who run Fuck Up Nights here in Calgary. Have you ever mm-hmm. been, have you no. been to one of those? Oh no. man, you, sh- you should get that. You should get that on your radar. It's... um. Fuck up nights is something that was started uh, by university students in Mexico who grew disenchanted with hearing all these like success stories in business without hearing any of the failures. So very similar to Builders and Brews, they started, I think this is 10 or 15 years ago, maybe more, but they started um, a, a meetup basically where they invited business leaders to share their favorite failures. And then they called it Fuck Up Nights. Yep. And now that's in 270 something cities around the world mm. where they host successful. And I think Amanda and Shar have built the one here in Calgary to be one of the, the most successful in, in the whole world. Cool. Um, and they're, so their events are sold out as soon as they're announced and they bring in some really good speakers and they put on a really good event. <laughs> so we, we have used that cool. as sort of an aspirational model for yeah, yeah. where we might, where we might want to get to. It's super unique, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, part of, part of it too, you know, you talked about it, just like do it right. Yeah. I always, I'm always like hesitant to say that because I'm like, if you're going to do something, you got to have the skill set to pull it off. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe you have to figure out, maybe you have to try it first to see if you actually do have the skills to pull it yeah. off. That makes sense to me. Yeah. But for, you know, this one, you have, you're built to do this. Yeah. Which is. One of the, one of the best things, one of the, one of the, our current, some of our current fuel is Brian, my, like I mentioned a couple of times, my partner in, in Brookright. He's a great guy. Also Stefan's dad. He said to us one time, he's like, I think this is probably the best idea you guys have ever had, but I also think you're too stupid to carry it out. <laughs> like, perfect. Thanks, Brian. See ya. Like, but, but so it's, like, it's great, but it's, it's exactly, but it's exactly the kind of a, it's cause he knows both of us really well. And yeah. he's like, this is what these knuckleheads need to mm-hmm. keep something going. So it's really cool, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah and thanks. I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, but, it, but it's also like, like you're making me blush a little bit, but it's also not me. It's like, it's the fact that this, industry is so hungry for that type of connection and mm-hmm. collaboration and yeah. like um, construction more broadly has been a as a real laggard in terms of productivity you hear it in the news all the time as as costs are inflating and the availability of skilled trades is less and less and less and less our industry needs to adopt technology but i think just as importantly it needs to adopt a different way of thinking about how we all work to build each other up and mm-hmm. how we gain skills and yeah. hold on to those skills yeah. and apply those to the next one because there's no standardized process across the board like one custom home builder does it this way, another mm-hmm. one does it this way, and another one does it this whole other way. Mm-hmm. There's no standardized process, so we're very slow to be able to adopt new technologies and change. And that's so back to like this isn't just me. I just happen to have an idea and be in the right room when the right story came along and have the conviction to see it through. Yep. But the industry is hungry for this type of connection, and it's been neat to see some of the connections that get made and the weird things that like spool off mm-hmm. out of out of these mm-hmm. events that I didn't even anticipate, but are also like glorious in that they're working to make the industry better. Dude, this is like you're on something here. Yeah. You're on something at a crazy level, and th- and I can say this so emphatically because it's it's almost the exact same thing that I'm trying to build. Yeah. You asked me like before we got going, and, and I was like. You know how it all works and where these people come from and who you talk to and i'm like i have somebody on the show they have a great experience and now it's turning into their introducing me to their network and then yeah. saying who i need to have on the show yeah which is something i didn't see coming mm-hmm. you're experiencing the exact same thing yeah and i think what like you're, you said this too you know you're the visionary you got the idea you need some help around structure and process which is great but to actually like uh this is the idea for construction in Calgary. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's only going to go, it's going to go crazy. Yeah. And I think that the only, your only problem is going to be allocating time to pull it off. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. I, yeah. As you get older, that becomes the problem with, with everything. Yeah. The, is, is how is time and attention, but that's also good. Like, and like yeah. I said, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like work yep. all the time. And thankfully Stefan is around to shoulder a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff that does feel like work. So. It's really cool, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, This has been a really cool chat. Yeah, it has. Um, I end the show with one question. When I say Calgary, where does your head go? I prepared for this question. So when I (laughs) when you say Calgary, I. 
think, and it's it's something. It's so I think big city, small town. I friggin' love Calgary for the both ease of making connections and the ability to find points of connection with people. Like when we got in here, your next guest is somebody that I. We, there's no reason we should know each other. We should know have any connection. There's a million some people in here. But sure enough, we're one point of separation removed from this person. And in Calgary, it seems to be that way all the time. And it's such a good city to be able to connect with people, be able to start something new, be able to um, join a community and feel like you're accepted. And that's not something I've experienced in in the many, many other cities I've lived in in Canada. So mm-hmm. that's that's what I think of as big city, small town. Yeah. And I feel the, dude, I feel the exact same way. Yeah. That's like, cool. Yeah, man. It's like... And that's why, and that's what's interesting too, right? To actually, to pull off your idea, it's all community driven, right? Mm-hmm. It's connections, it's putting people, like like-minded people together. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and because of it, because it's in Calgary, like this yeah. is going to work. Yeah. And, and I think the exact same thing about this show. Yeah. Cool. I'm just like, I'm going to build a community. It's all about connections. Yeah. And because it's Calgary, then it just clicks. Yeah. No, I love it. Thanks, cool, man. Calgary. Uh, thanks for your time. No problem. Thank this you. This is a really cool one. So uh, yeah, I, uh, I appreciate it. Me too. Thanks, Jeff.